chapter in South Sudan. It's been such a, a gift and a privilege for me to be able to engage a number of witch doctors in, in dialogue and prayer uh, through the years. And I, I remember this one vividly. We walked in, we sat down, we started talking together. And uh, I asked him if, if I could share with him about Jesus. He said yes. And so I began to share the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us. In Jesus, he listened graciously and then flatly rejected the gospel. And I asked, um, you know, if we could talk a bit more, and, and we did, but he just kept, kept rejecting it uh, every time. And honestly, I was thinking, man, this guy's a witch doctor, and as a witch doctor, he makes money. Uh, by being a witch doctor, this is his livelihood. I'm asking him to walk away from everything he has, uh, every, every source of income that he has. I'm asking him uh, to really become probably a very, a very poor man, uh, maybe be shamed in front of his community, maybe walk away from the reputation that he has, and maybe enter into a life of hardship and suffering greater than he's known before. I'm asking him to surrender everything to follow Jesus. He'd have to burn his idols. He would have to become a completely different guy. And so it was no surprise. He kept rejecting again and again. But it came to this last time, and I was weighing through, you know, do I, do I try to implore him once more to follow Jesus? What do I do? And I just felt this stirring of God in my heart to just invite him once more. And, and so I did. I wasn't, I wasn't pushy. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't shoving anything on him. But I just invited him. And uh, it was really clear, I think, how much Jesus meant to me. And I just gave him this invitation. I don't know how to explain it, except that suddenly in that moment, God just, God just touched him. And in an instant, everything changed. And suddenly, he was, he was broken and he was surrendered. He was willing to give up his livelihood and he was willing to burn his, his idols. And everything changed his heart and his life. And next thing I knew, we had this huge time of celebration for him because God had saved him. In the days that came, I saw a joy come over him that I'd never seen before. I saw a peace on his life. I saw his family celebrate. His wife was already a follower of Jesus. And, and, and I saw what took place in his heart and life. And it was radical. All because he was willing to give everything up. Today we uh, had the privilege, Alan Nippers and I, of, of a, uh, a, a time to be together with one of our incoming uh, covenant members. And, and just to get to hear the story of what, what God has done in her life, and, and this, this testimony of, of how Jesus had touched her was so powerful to me. I could have just wept. There is something about the story that happened in each one of our lives whenever we reach a point of utter surrender before God. The problem is that our world is combating that as hard as our culture can possibly do it, trying to get us to cling to other things, to have other things that we value ahead of God, things that we really, really don't want to surrender. And that's what the Bible is going to talk to us about today. So if you're there with you in Matthew chapter 7, let's begin where Jake was reading for us early in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus is sitting on the mountain and he's teaching this mass of people that have come to hear from him. And as the rabbis, the teachers would in the Jewish tradition, he sat down and began to share with them. And this is what he says in, in, in verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also them, for this is the law and the prophets. The law is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are known as the books of the law. 
And then you have the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now, as you may know, if you've ever read through the Bible before, that will span the entirety of the Old Testament. The beginning to the end of the Old Testament is really a shortened way of referring to the entirety of the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, what you have seen and, and, and heard from the Old Testament, uh, what it's, it's, it's validating to you is that whatever you wish that others would do to you, you should also do to them. Now, that can be twisted in a really bad way in our society. We talked some weeks ago about this saying of, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. A saying that I hate, it, was, it has been encouraged uh, to me. Uh, to do it, and, and, and I don't like it. It was a missionary mentor of mine who was encouraging me to, to do it with somebody else. Hey, one day you're going to need their help, so you go, you go help them just so that one day you can get their help. But that's not the gospel at all. That's not what Jesus has done for us. That's not uh, the truth of the Word of God. It's you sacrifice your life. You lay down your life for somebody else, and don't even worry about getting anything in return. So I want to make sure that we've really got the heartbeat of the golden rule, what's known as the golden rule here in verse 12, which is really this idea of you just give everything you have to serve uh, somebody else. But think about what's important to you. And if you know what's important to you, it'll probably help you know how to serve them. So Jesus is the ultimate example of a servant. The Bible tells us that he came not to be served, but to serve, which is mind-blowing reality. The Son of God would come to this earth to serve other people, not to be served by them. It's this incredible picture of humility. And one of my favorite passages is in the book of Philippians chapter 2, where it says, uh, it gives us this incredible idea of what it means for us to to surrender everything uh, to God in that sense of humility before others. Uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This passage that that our kids have been memorizing is this way to be a concert minder to ourselves that it's not about us. It's, it's about others. How can we serve them? How can we bless them? How can we think of them above ourselves? Now, the Bible is so clear to us in how God loves us and cares for us. And in the midst of that, sometimes we begin to feel really special, and we should, because we are loved beyond belief. We are more special than we can ever imagine. But what happens in our culture in 2020 is that that makes us then begin to turn everything on ourselves. In the age of social media where you take that picture and then take it again and take it again and take it again and take it again. You know what I mean? Just so you got the exact right picture going on your Instagram account. And it's all about making everything look exactly right so that it can seem as if we are good. But we don't suddenly become good just by focusing on ourselves and making ourselves look just the way we want to look. The Bible says the inverse is actually true. If you want to be good, go serve other people. Don't think as much about yourselves, but think more about them. And that's the heart of the golden rule here. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. In other words, think about how would you like to be really loved? Now go love them in that way. What would mean a lot to you? Well, go and bless others in the same way. For this is the law and the prophets, Jesus is saying. This is the entirety of the Old Testament. This is, this is what's summed up in it. 
You might have heard before this idea of love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was instructing the people in regards to the Old Testament, and, and he told them, love God with everything that you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that exact same idea of how would you love yourself? How would you care for yourself? Now go out and pour that into other people. One of the things the world so badly needs today is love. When you look at the political scene, you don't see a whole lot of love there. When you look at what's gone on with some of the racial tension in our country in 2020 and really for a very, very long time, what do we need? We really need love. What needs to take place in a whole lot of families through the holiday season when there's that tension of getting together with a family member that you know you kind of struggle with and, and now you got the COVID thing going on and it's all kind of messy and sticky and what do we really need? We need love. And so Jesus here in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount is trying to help us know how to love people in a way that really, really means something to them. So just very practically, I think, for us as a church, as, as we go through these coming weeks, especially in the holiday season, we think about the, the co-workers alongside of us. How would they feel loved? How would we feel loved? What can we do to them to help them feel the, that love in the way that would be meaningful to us? Same with our family members and our friends. How can we reflect that to a city and a world that so desperately needs it? Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So enter by the narrow gate. The narrow gate here is Jesus. He's really describing himself. The Bible tells us, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there's no other way to know God except through Jesus. The world was broken and messed up from almost the very beginning. When Satan, the enemy of God, tempted Eve, the first woman, and Adam, the first man, also sinned. They both sinned against God. They rebelled against him. And you and I have as well. None of us rolled out of the womb just perfectly pleasing God. All of us are sinners, meaning we all have put ourselves Above God. Because of that, there's a breach, there's a separation between us and God, and we are desperately in need of God to cross that breach. We can't, we can't cross on our own. We can't be good enough, strong enough. We can't do enough nice things to enough people. There's nothing that we can do except to receive God's mercy and grace in our lives. And he sent that through Jesus. Jesus is the narrow gate. He is the way to God. You've got to go through that gate to get to God. Now, the world likes to tell us there are a lot of different ways to get to God, but the Bible is clear that that is not true. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. There's only one who has ever died on the cross after living a perfect life, becoming a perfect sacrifice, and that's Jesus himself. He rose on the third day, so that if we believe in him and follow him and surrender everything to him, we also can be saved, and we also one day will raise from the dead, rise from the dead. And we'll be together with God in heaven. This incredible story of what God has done for us to give us an eternity together with him. But it only comes if we enter by the narrow gate. Verse 13, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Now destruction is worse than we can possibly fathom. I don't think any of us can really truly comprehend what awaits those who don't know Jesus. The Bible tells us that it's an eternity to remove from God. And the Bible tells us that it's spent in hell, which is a place where Satan is and God isn't. And I can't imagine a worse combination than a place where Satan is and God isn't. Satan is the epitome of evil. God is the epitome of good. Why do we have anything good on this planet? It's only because God is here. 
And there's what's known as common grace, the grace of God of those who know him and follow him and those who don't. If it weren't for common grace, we would all be in trouble, especially those who are not a part of the family of God, who are not in relationship with God. Because if Satan was left to do everything his own way, the Bible tells us that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So hell is the worst thing I can possibly imagine, not just because they're suffering there, but because Satan's there and God isn't there. And that's the destruction that awaits those who go through the wide gate. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I'm going to get real heavy real quick. Hang with me. My greatest fear as a pastor and a proclaimer of the gospel is that one day I stand before God when my days on this earth are done and God tells me that I didn't do a good enough job of preaching the truth boldly. That's what I'm worried about. I know I'm accountable for that. I know my brother Steve's accountable for that. I know all of us who have the privilege of of preaching or, or, or teaching or discipling, we're accountable for speaking the truth into one another. And I'm so blessed by Kendall's testimony earlier and, and, and just by his gratitude for those who have spoken in him. And I could say the same. I love it when other followers of Jesus are, are willing to come to me and say, Peter, we've got a hard word we need to share with you, but we're concerned about you in this area or that area. I need that. You need that. We, we, we all need that. And the thing that I'm the most concerned about out of anything I could be concerned about for, for our society and our culture today, not just Hope Church, but, but every church, especially in America in 2020, is that so many of us think that we have entered into the narrow gate, but I'm afraid we've only gone through the wide gate. Because the narrow gate is hard. And the Bible is so clear here. For the gate is narrow in the way that is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Because how do you go through the narrow gate? You surrender everything. It's one thing to believe in Jesus. It's one thing to say, yes, I can mentally assent to the fact that God created everything perfectly, that Satan made a wreck out of it, that all of us are sinners, and that Jesus came to save us, and I I believe that. It's one thing to believe that. But it's another thing altogether to surrender our heart and our life to Jesus. Because surrender is not easy. Surrender means we come before Jesus and we're willing to give everything up to him. And I'm not sure that everyone who claims the name of Jesus in America today, I'm not sure that everyone who says they're truly a Christian is truly a Christian. I'm not sure that everyone who says they are really believing in Jesus is also surrendered to him. Because surrendering to Jesus means that you're willing to give everything up. Surrendering to Jesus means that you're willing to sacrifice your money if he's got a different plan for it, your time, your job, whatever he wants to do, the path that he has for your family, for the home that you live in, maybe the car that you drive, your reputation and what people think of you, your hopes, your dreams, your visions. It means you take all of it and you bundle it together and you come before Jesus and you say, Jesus, you're better than all of this. You mean more to me than all of this. You're the one that I cling to and I love and I cherish. You're the one who died on the cross for me in a way that I cannot even imagine. And so it's my joy to come and to bring everything that I have and all that I am, and I lay it before you. And then we just let Jesus write the story. 
Whatever story he wants to write with our life, that's, that's his story. It's, it's not our story. It's his. We've surrendered everything to him. The Bible tells us that Jesus must be Lord and Savior, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Savior is easy. That's just believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and that he can save us. But the Lord part is hard. Now, Lord meant back from the time that the New Testament was written, in the Roman Empire, Caesar was Lord, which meant that you surrendered everything before him. The believers in Jesus began to say, no, Jesus is Lord. He's the one that we really surrender everything to. And so when the scriptures say that Jesus must be Lord, that is another way of saying we've got to surrender everything that we have to him. And the greatest deceit that Satan can possibly drop on us is to make us think that everything has been surrendered to Jesus when it hasn't. The thing that I worry about the most as a proclaimer of the gospel is that women and men will believe that they have surrendered everything before him. And that they are a true follower of Jesus when they never really entered that complete moment of surrender. And sometimes it's because we have preconceived notions. And we think, well, if I just go to church and good, do good things, then I'll be saved and I'll, I'll be in heaven one day. And sometimes it's just because we're embarrassed. And we say, well, people already think that I've been following Jesus for a long time. I can't, I can't possibly tell them that that's not actually the case and never really surrendered everything. And so sometimes it's reputation-based, and, and that's the reason that we never come and surrender everything. Sometimes it's because we, we're just deceived. Like, well, well I've, I've surrendered most of everything, haven't I? But 95% of surrender is not surrender. Surrender comes when we lay everything down and before Him. And when you're surrendered before God, the Bible tells us that the fruit of His presence in our lives will make a difference. And so your testimony and my testimony, our stories of what God has done in our life should bear witness to that truth. It should be, you know, before Jesus came to my life, I was this way, and now I'm this way. Again, Kendall's testimony is so powerful. It was this way, and now it's this way. And I can tell you that in my own life, and I hope you can tell me that in your life. If you've had that moment of surrender everything before Jesus, then God's presence came into your life, and that changes That changes everything about us. Now the challenge is that even for those of us who have laid everything down before him, the world is constantly trying to suck us back. Into, okay, at that moment of surrender, you you surrendered your money, your heart, your time, your life, your family, and everything else about you. But in the the years since, maybe you sort of of drifted back. And and now your money is again... Your money, you're kind, of, you're kind of controlling it more. And your, and your time and your, your reputation, what people think of you and, and, and the job that you have and what you want to do. And I can, I can tell you one of the ways that we know the state of our heart is what are we talking about the most. If our heart and our life is surrendered to Jesus, then the dreams of Jesus will be our dreams. And the conversations of Jesus will be our conversations. And the things that he has for us will be the things that we love to talk about. When Jesus is our treasure, and he has to be our treasure if we've surrendered everything to him, then that's what fills our hearts and our minds. You see, here's the difference between the narrow gate and the wide gate. Those who go through the wide gate aren't talking about Jesus very much. Those who have gone through the narrow gate are obsessed with him. Those who have gone through the the wide gate, they don't worship a whole lot. 
Those who have gone through the narrow gate love to come in and sing with Eddie and Monica, worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord. Those who have gone through the, the narrow gate, when they, I mean the wide gate, when they're thinking about their money, it's, it's what can I do for you know, my family, or I want this, or I want that, or I want that, or Christmas is coming, and here's an excuse to get a little something for myself. Those who have gone through the narrow gate is, how, how can I give money to impact others? How can we reach those tribes that never heard the name of Jesus? How can we give our money to help the homeless? How can we, how can we do those types of things? Those who have gone through the wide gate are, oh, I've got a little bit of extra time in my schedule. Maybe I can watch more, more ball games or I can watch more movies or I can do this or that. Or those who have gone through the narrow gate are so surrendered before the Lord. So how can I use my time to help to advance his kingdom and bless other people? Those who have gone through the wide gate sit around the dinner table at night and they talk about what went through the day. Those who have gone through the narrow gate will invariably find themselves returning to conversations about Jesus and living lives of purpose and meaning. And giving ourselves to impact others. Those who have gone through the wide gate, the, the kids don't even know that they've gone through the wide gate. But those who have gone through the narrow gate, the kids definitely know it. Because they have parents who love to talk about what really matters in life. And constantly directing the family back towards Jesus. The wide gate's really deceptive. It's easy to go there. In fact, we all kind of drift there. Unless God touches our heart in a way that enables us to have a profound depth of surrender and we go into the narrow gate. So here we go, Hope family, here we go. I want to encourage us to be a people who are willing to boldly reevaluate our hearts over and over again. The scripture is clear on that. When you read through the New Testament, so many letters from Paul are encouraging us and exhorting us to go back and say, okay, are we sure that we are really in Christ? And we know that we are because even when we go through times of suffering, we don't deviate. We come back, we can look at that, and we can say, yes, I've remained true to God no matter what's happened in my life. I have gone through the narrow gate. And I rejoice in that. That's what really matters. Maybe 2020 has been a crazy year. COVID's been hard. It's been tough. The racial stuff has just ripped at our soul. The elections has caused stress and uncertainty. But what really matters is I have gone through the narrow gate. What matters is that Jesus paid the ultimate price for me. What matters is that I have an eternity that's secure with him. What matters is that that road is hard to find. But God pulled me into it. He called me into it, and I know I'm where I need to be. Hope family, we have a world that is going to constantly try to get us to look at other things. And if we are obsessed with movies and social media and books and a whole bunch of things that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but if that consumes us, if that's what we're about, then we're reflecting, even for a short time, the wide road instead of the narrow road. And so Jesus met this passage, I think, especially for those who maybe don't yet know him. And this exhortation and encouragement to examine yourselves and make sure you've really gone down the narrow road. But I want to add on to it an exhortation for us who know we've gone down the narrow road to make sure our lives reflect it. 2020 has caused us as a society, I think, in some ways to be more selfish than we've ever been before. I see it all around us where we're more selfish with our time and with the things that we want and 
There's something about the insulating nature of COVID and all those weeks and months kind of by ourselves in our home, structuring things the way that we wanted it. And I don't know what it is in me, and I think in all of us, it has to be really careful to make sure that we are really about the work of the kingdom. Don't play it safe. Don't pull back. Don't suddenly find ourselves just trying to insulate again, but dive into the things that God has. Think outward and externally how God can use us to advance his kingdom, to love other people, and to glorify his name. And I think that's such a great, powerful reminder from Jesus tonight to make sure that we're not consumed with the things of the wide road, the wide gate, but we are grounded again on him. Enter by the narrow gate, verse 13. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. One final word of encouragement. For the way, gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It's not easy to surrender everything. You may be joining us by live stream or here tonight. You've, you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus because it's hard. But maybe you're going through this time tonight and God's touching your heart. And, and you realize this is what matters more than anything else. And in a moment, we're going to have our prayer team here and want to encourage you to contact us you're joining us by live stream and we would be honored to talk with you and to to pray with you as you surrender everything before God the road is hard but there's nothing more important let me ask you to stand let me ask our music team and our prayer team to come I'm so thankful for this passage because it's such an encouragement to me I don't know how you're wired but I'm deeply wired towards the things that really really matter I love sitting around and talking sports and, you know, anything else we might want to talk about. But there's nothing that I love to talk about more than Jesus. I mean, this is what our eternity is grounded on. you got a world that's so consumed with so much stuff, but this is what really, really, really matters. And I love this encouragement from Jesus to say, let's not, let's not get consumed with other things or distracted by other things, but let's really just focus in on what matters the most. And that's going to be our encouragement tonight. In a moment after I pray, our prayer team's going to be up front. We want to encourage you to come and just pray with us. You could be a guest, covenant member. We want to encourage you just to come and and let's just go before God together. Let's cry out on behalf of wherever you might need healing or encouragement or a move of God in your life. And, And maybe there's just an area of surrender that you struggle just laying down before Him. Maybe you followed Jesus a long time ago, but it's just something that keeps popping up again and you're working through it. We'd love to pray with you. It could be that you've never followed Jesus and we'd love to talk with you and get to pray with you tonight. You're loved here. We're so thankful that you're here. Let me pray and then we'll dive into our time together. We thank you, God, that you love us how you do. We thank you that you're with us. And we thank you for your grace that's just poured out on us. Thank you that none of us are too far from you. Thank you that you're with us. And we pray that right now in this moment you'd engage our hearts in power. God, please don't let us leave where we walk away unsurrendered. We pray right now by the power of your spirit, by the move of your presence in our lives, that we'd be a surrendered people all across this place, joining us by live stream, surrendered before you so you can write the story you want to write with our lives. God, I pray we'd quit trying to do it on our own, quit trying to be strong enough or or wise enough or in control enough, but that right here, right now, right here and right now, this would be our time to come before you and just surrender everything 
and say, Jesus, we can't do it. We can't do it, but we need you. And we know, we know that you're going to meet us. And we pray that you do it in power. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Thanking you for your love for us. Will you move in us now? We pray in your name. Amen.